Church, please be seated. One of the joys we have periodically is, is having someone visit who's been here a while ago but doesn't come and visit very often, and that's because they're overseas serving the Lord doing ministry. And uh, But it's still great to have them. The Van Wert family is, is back with us today, and so welcome, guys. And why don't you come on up? Those of you missed out, the, the Heritage Hour missed out a great opportunity to just hear a little bit, and I'm going to give this to you. And um, in light of that time... I just want to let you know that we made a special trip for you guys. <laughs> so there's, a, there's humor to this. So they actually, they can't stand bananas anymore. There was a time when they may have liked them. But you don't have to take them. You don't have to keep them. So, but we, we actually had them. And uh, so we had a fruit basket that was on Royce's desk. And I said, I know there's bananas in there. I'm going to bring them out and offer them. But I, know, I don't think they're going to want them. But, uh, I don't know. We've been in America now for uh, a few months. So they might, they might be feeding uh, so, bananas. Some reminder of home. Yep. But the, they're dull and they have a Minnie Mouse on them. So it could be good. We don't know. Yep. So I'll put them right over here and I'll let you take a minute to share. All right. Thank you very much. Well, we are the Van Ward family. Um, myself, my wife, Elizabeth, and the kids. I'm going to make them stand up, turn around, do a little wave. Good. Um, we are missionaries to Uganda, and we live in the city of Embarara, Uganda. And um, we do ministry there. I focus mainly on... Uh, discipleship and training in local churches. I work with a program called Community Health Evangelism, and um, we train people to go into their communities, visit door-to-door, share lessons um, with the folks in their villages or in their towns, and share Christ that way. And that's the program that we're mainly working with. Um, We do other discipleship and training. Elizabeth teaches at a local Christian school, and um, she teaches Sunday school and things like that. And um, we've had an exciting uh, few years these past uh, three years. It's been three years since we've been here to report um, with COVID and other crazy things going on. Um, it, it's been interesting. A lot of the plans that we had going into that time had to be changed. And we had to do some different things and do things differently than we had anticipated but God took care of us. God wasn't surprised by the different things that came up, and uh, he led us through those um, interesting times, and um, he has showed himself faithful, and we came not only just came through those times, but we thrived in those times, and we're very thankful for your prayers and your support for us. Um, they kept us going and allowed us to be there and serving God, doing uh, what we're supposed to be doing over there, what God has prepared for us. So thank you very much for that. We really appreciate it. Give yourself a, a, some applause because, um, yeah, God is good and he's taking good care of us. And we're looking forward to meeting a lot of you. We're going to be in the back afterwards. We have a sign-up sheet. And you can sign up to get our email updates to keep track of us and know how you can be praying for us and the different things that are going on. Also, we have new prayer cards that we'd like to share with you and even a Christmas letter. Uh, If you'd uh, like to pick one of those up, we'd love to share a Christmas letter with you just to give a little bit more idea of what's been going on and things in our lives. And again, we just thank you for taking good care of us and supporting us. Um, so we can do what God has us doing. Thank you. Stay there. Now, he doesn't know this, but I was going to put him on the spot for a minute. Sounds good. Okay. So, turn me down just a smidgen, please. Um, So, you grew up feeling pretty confident that you're going to do medical stuff, right? Yep. Okay, so maybe tell them a little bit, so for those that weren't there, maybe how that started to work in your life, and then I have another question. Okay, so growing up, I loved watching medical shows on TV. Back when we first got cable a million years ago, there was a Discovery Channel show where they like did surgeries to help fix deformities on people's faces and things, and I loved watching that, and I was really intrigued by it. And um, yeah, that, 
it was just something I really desired. And I'm a nurse now, and um, that's a lot of what I do there in Uganda is doing health teaching, things like that. So, so how was it in your journey, in your relationship with Jesus, how did that, your relationship with Christ, and you also talked about a particular moment in time where some of this kind of kicked in as well, mm. shift and change the direction of your life and give you a different purpose than what you were initially thinking you were going to pursue? Yeah, um, so we had a missions conference at our church when I was about 12 years old, and I had already decided then that I was heading towards being a nurse, um, and the, um, the missionary that was sharing and giving the invitation at that missions conference um, gave an invitation, and he was kind of scolding the church. He, he said, you know what, this is nice that you have this missions conference, and you're writing these checks and sending money, and you're making nice foods, but it doesn't amount to a whole lot of anything if you're not willing to go and you're not willing to serve. And that really convicted me and, and others in our church. And we went forward that day, and a number of us committed to the Lord to the possibility of being missionaries. And I really didn't think God would want me to be a missionary. Um, my father was a pastor, and in my mind, missionaries were pastors. And I saw his skill set and, and what he liked to do, and it wasn't the same as me. And I thought, well, I'm not equipped for that. God doesn't really want me to be a missionary. But over time, God used a missions trip that my dad went on. And um, when my dad came back from that mission trip and was sharing the different things that were going on there, um, he shared about the medical needs that were there in Uganda. He shared about um, the, the openness that the people of Uganda had and, and the hunger for the truth of God. And I thought, wow. Even someone like me, I could go there. I could help out with the physical things, the medical stuff. And, and in a place like that, even a, a dope like me can, could share Christ and, and be a blessing to those people. And so when I was about 15, that's when the Lord really laid it on my heart. And I knew for sure that I was called to go to Uganda and be a missionary. So one more question. Yes. So God gave you a passion for missions, mm -hmm. and then you experienced a significant call to take that passion and use it in Uganda. Um, how has that fleshed itself out in a way that's really practical so that as you just use your, your everyday skills to represent Jesus, how has that fleshed itself out specifically then where you are? So, Because I think sometimes people think that if I'm really going to serve a call, there's something unique or distinct, like being a pastor, or quote-unquote, as we say at times, a missionary. Yeah. So how do those specific skills that God gave you just flesh themselves out in your opportunity to serve the Lord? Uh, it, it's crazy, because like, growing up, other thing, like my dad was a pastor, and we were poor. So my dad had to fix everything at the church, and my dad had to... Um, fix the church van and he had to fix the plumbing and the electrical and I was there with him helping him with those things so I learned a lot of those skills so even that type of stuff the Lord brings opportunities into our lives sometimes that we're not even intent intending to have and and we're not even seeking out but he brings people along where we're able to just help in some small way and then it creates a conversation or they'll see me rolling around under my broken car on the side of the road, fixing it, and um, people will see me and, like, what are you doing? And like, well, I'm fixing my car. How do you know how to do that? And, and it just starts a conversation. And ministry is relationships. And any way that you can start conversations is the beginning of ministry. And so all kinds of crazy things come along, um, in the course of a day, um, and sometimes some of the things that frustrate me the most, like, ah, oh, there's no fuel for our stove. I'm running around town trying to find fuel for the stove, and it's so frustrating. But then God brings somebody along that I can talk to, and I can share uh, just a little bit and, and get to know them and begin building a relationship and have an opportunity to share Christ with that person. 
all because they were out of propane at the store. So it's neat. God uses all kinds of things and, and brings it all around to where he gives us the opportunity to give him the glory. And um, I think a big part of it is just praying and saying, Lord, give me an opportunity today to shine a little light to share you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Pastor. Now, I would encourage you to take the opportunity to um, spend some time with them afterwards and catch them and, and talk to them and just say hello after the service. And you're going to find out that as missionaries, they're just like we are. They just seek to serve the Lord someplace else, doing stuff that God gave them to do. And they're very much just like us. They just get to do it someplace else. And, um, but thank you also for that answering some questions. Because today as we talk about, we've been talking about hope, and we, and we started this a couple weeks ago as we wrapped up this series on the Word. We talked about hope and how God gives us hope in His Word. And then as we, as we continue that process today, we're here and we're asking a question about hope. And, and I would suggest to you that as we talked about last week, God gives hope and he gives the opportunity for healing and families through the application of the gospel and, and, and God allowing his word to have an impact in people's lives and God allows his word to shape us and therefore then having that impact to impact others. I would suggest to you today that God, another amazing hope is that God gives us purpose. Now I'm going to kind of walk through that and kind of tell you a little bit where I come from in this because there has been a bit of a journey for me in my life as I have processed through this. When I was younger, and I again, Paul says when I was when I was when I was a kid, I taught, felt like a kid, but when I became a man, I put away kind of childish things. He kind of talks about that a little bit. When I was younger, I didn't really think about and understand purpose and and direction in life a whole lot. I just knew that one day I was going to get up, I was going to get a job, I was going to work, and that was going to be kind of define the course of my life. And as I started to wrestle through those things, and as I started to move forward in life, I started to recognize at a fairly young age the futility of life. And I don't know if you've thought about that a whole lot, but there's a profound amount of futility in life. Particularly when you listen to our worldview, in our, in our world's worldview. Because the world tells us that God doesn't exist. Our world tells us that we've evolved from apes. Our world tells us that we exist to advance people and our kids and mankind to the next step but one day we're going to close our eyes, we're going to cease to exist, and we're done. And that's a large part of the conversation that our world gives us. It's a large part of the, the, the sense of direction that our world identifies for us. Now, they try to fill it with all sorts of things. I was listening to someone the other day. And she was very passionate about the fact that she could help people find temporary direction in their lives for different things. She was a life coach, and I've done training as life coach. I was listening to some of the things she had to say, and she was very passionate about that. But the problem with that whole conversation is that all that she could offer was temporary. It was fixed to a certain point in time, and it didn't go beyond that point in time. And as I wrestled through this, I really started to recognize that life was incredibly Futile, And I don't know if you spend any time kind of listening and watching in the world right now. But I got to tell you, there's parts, if I spend too much time thinking on it, dwelling on it, d- digging down personally into the things that are kind of going on in the world around us, it's easy for rage start to build in me. Because I think of the unfairness, the stackedness against me, or the stackedness against others. And I watched the process of how people in power manipulate and play games with people that are not in power. And I watch how people, and and it happens all the way from the top all the way down, and one person with more power seeks to manipulate and, and take advantage of the next person below them who has less power, and all of that kind of stuff. And as I watch these things, there's a fair amount of rage that exists within me at times if I were to... 
You know, if you were to just kind of sit and soak in that stuff, it just starts to really tick me off. And I recognize the futility of all of that. Think of the amazing great leaders of history. The world has passed them all by. It's passed them all by. I've talked about Caesar. Caesar Crete. Caesar was kind of the point guy for some of the stuff that happened in Rome, and he kind of represented some of the pinnacle of the of the existence of, of what took place in Rome. But Rome was overrun by barbarians. Now, some of its laws exist, but everything he sought to establish and all those peers around him that they thought to establish got destroyed. We go, we, people go to Italy and they, and they walk around Italy and they walk around some other parts of the world and they, and they see uh, buildings that are falling over in, in, in ruins, but everything that they built is history. You can think of those in Egypt who built the pyramids and they built these big monoliths to, to celebrate their death, but they're dead and gone. And, and, and the greatness of what took place in Egypt over that period of time is history. It's all gone. It's history. It's history. We can look at people in our recent history. People look at FDR. People look at Kennedy. You know, on the conservative side, I think people would look at Reagan and, and that kind of stuff. And people kind of look back at those different individuals and they look at the touch and the impact those in individuals had on history. And here we are 50 or 40 or 30 years later. And history continues to shift. And well, they're not forgotten, but all of their touch in history was temporal and time continues to move forward. And the real impact and significance of what they've done wanes. And it really has struck me over the time how futile life is and how pointless so much is. In fact, you, can, you look at Scripture and, and you see three values, you know, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life are the things that kind of the world throws at us. And it says, if you want to really live, if you want to really thrive, if you want to really survive, chase these things. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And for, as Scripture says, for a season, these things satisfy. For a season of time, these things are very engaging. That self-gratification, that self-fulfillment, that seeking achievement and seeking accomplishment. But then you reach a tipping point in your journey. When you start to look at the reality that my time is finite and there's a time coming when I'm going to close my eyes for the final time and you start to look back and you look at all these things and you say, really, what was the value? Now, over in recent years, there have been people who say, well, what you need to do is you need to shift from success to significance. That's what you need to do. You need to shift the direction of your life from seeking to be successful now to do things that are significant. But I would suggest to you, even though we try to shift to those things that are significant, the impact is still waning if it's not built on something that's eternal. See, for me, as I come back to the scriptures and I look at the hope that comes from the word of God, God has given me purpose to live for that is not going to disappear, that's not going to fade away in a 500 years, 50 years, 1,000 years, or 10,000 years, the things that I've had the opportunity to do for Jesus, the things I've had the opportunity to do for God, in the life that I've had the opportunity, opportunity to start to live toward, all of it carries forward. It doesn't get lost. And God gives us the opportunity to live a life of purpose and meaning, fulfilling. God gives us that. And for me, as I look at the Word of God, as I look at the promise of Scripture, that's one of the things for me that on a personal level gives me a profound amount of hope. That my life has value and significance and it will have that eternally. I want to walk through some Scripture this morning and kind of help you to see that. But let's have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into it. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for the time you've given us this morning to spend in your word, to think about its significance, to think about the lesson it has for us, to, to be able to grab a hold 
and to live out the hope that you give us to find purpose and meaning that transcends everything that we see around us and that has a value that's eternal. Father, I would ask that you would just go before us and help us in our thinking and help us as we engage in your word. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you look in your notes, I would encourage you to follow along. We give you an opportunity and space for notes, and that's the danger of having two things here. I put the microphone down. It starts to roll. I catch that, and I drop my piece of paper. So, as you look at that, you're going to see we're going to spend some time in Romans, and I give you some space to kind of look at those and jot some personal notes if you have them. But let's go to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 12. And as we kind of read through and go through these things, we're just going to, as I laid it out, we're just going to kind of flow through. And my intention this morning is not to do a super, super heavy dive into these, but I want you to see some key things that take place as we listen to what Paul is saying to the church in Rome about who God is and the significance of that relationship and, and, the, and the richness of what is there. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Okay, so one of the things I did this week that I also did last week, I put on the bottom of our notes the section of scriptures that we looked at it a couple weeks ago when we talked about how do we study God's word. And so again, I put the, the, the verses there from Galatians that deal with the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And I put that there because I want you to look at, so when he says, so brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What are the ways that we live according to the flesh. I talked about that a moment ago, kind of giving you those three big categories, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But now this gets, starts to get spelled out and, and broken down a little bit more when we look at that in Galatians. And what does Galatians say again about this? So the works of the flesh are these things. He says they're obvious. It doesn't take much effort to really see the works of the flesh. But that's sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And as he starts to talk about this, and as Paul says, we are not obligated to live according to the flesh. We don't have to live according to this list. We can live our lives differently. But overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, when we listen to our world, life flows from this list. I don't watch hardly any reality TV. If I watch any reality TV, I'll watch American Idol. We talked about how the American Idol was kind of key and important in their personal journey, okay? Um, that's about the only kind of reality thing that I'll watch because I like the singing and kind of... And it's usually not fixed on this stuff. But you see the commercials. And as you see the commercials for other reality competition and other reality stories. You know what's interesting to me that really capture those stories? Issues of dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. You see the whole, the, the lust for life and the, the living out indulgently going on in those shows. You see the competition, the backstabbing, the, 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 the faction forming, and all this kind of garbage. And I don't even watch the show. You just see it in 30-second segments or 20-second segments being portrayed in the commercial. This is the stuff our world lives on. Look at the regular TV shows you might watch. And you're going to look at the regular TV shows you watch and you follow the plot lines and the storylines of how the stories fold. Overwhelmingly, the values and the things that are taking place in those storylines are storylines that flow right out of these verses in Galatians. Overwhelmingly. This is where our world lives. These are the things that our world says are significant and meaningful and important. And Paul says... We are not obligated to the flesh 
to live according to the flesh. Because you live, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what do we get to live out according to the Spirit? That's on that other list that's right below that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you might see this in different parts of our culture, and you might see this in different snippets of the storylines that take place, but overwhelmingly, what you really see are the values represented above, the values of the flesh. But God gives us a different standard by which we can live. And that's the beginning of finding purpose. We start to find a different direction, a different path to walk, a different course to take in life instead of the one mapped out for us by the world. It says, for you did not Let me continue. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. And you start to recognize that there's an adoption. He talks about this more, but there's this adoption process starts to go on. And we recognize that we start to, as we live, we get to live as God's kids. We don't live as something else. We get to start to live as God's children. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with, with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There's a totally different direction of life that he's talking about. He's not talking about building big fancy houses. He's not talking about building this legacy like Carnegie and others that get to have someone talk about them when they're long gone. Now Carnegie is one of those people. Or Rockefeller. Daniel's girlfriend and her family were here. They wanted to get to New York City. They wanted to see Rockefeller Center. Well, Rockefeller is dead and gone, but you want to know something? In another 100 years or another 200 years, Rockefeller's name is probably not going to mean a whole lot. But we don't have to be tied to that which is temporary. We get to be connected to that which is eternal. Why? Because we get to be glorified with him. That's eternal. He continues... He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Talking about us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we are saved by hope, that is, seen, not, he he goes, say this correctly, now, if this hope, now, in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Pause for that second. I don't have my wallet. Do you have a wallet on you? Do you have any money in your wallet? Can you give it to me for a second? I asked Joan to give me my wallet. I forgot it at home. I just, do you have any money in there? Okay, I'm going to take a $20 bill. Thank you. I owe you 20 Now, I have a borrowed $20 bill. If I say to Davies, Davies, I'm going to give you 20 there's hope. But, when I give him 20 Sorry about that. And I'm saying you're going to get 20 from me, and he's already got it. Is he still hoping? No. 
because he's already received it. Now, I can say to Matt, I'm going to get you 20. (laughs) And he's hoping. (laughs) He hasn't received it yet, but he's hoping he's going to get it back. The hope. Now, now, if we hope for what we do not see, says, let me go back. Says, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Or who hopes for what he's got? You don't hope for it anymore. In fact, often we take it for granted because we've got it. All right. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Patience. Now, what's going on? We have something coming. Something that's better. Something that's richer. Something that's deeper. And something that lasts forever. And we've been given the first course. We've been given the hint of that through the presence of the Spirit and through the work of God in our lives as He's starting to work that redemption work in our lives. And as we are starting to give that freedom to not live according to those things of the world, but we start to have the opportunity to live according to those things of the Spirit as the Spirit of God is at work in us. And we start to have that hope. We start to have that anticipation. But none of us have gone over into eternity. We've got the check, so to speak, in hand. We've got the hope, the anticipation of what we're going to receive. But we haven't yet cashed it in. We haven't yet grabbed a hold of it. We know that that is coming and we anticipate that and we look forward to that. We are looking forward that we have the opportunity to have something way better than anything this world has to offer us. And it's found in Jesus. He continues, I'll drop down, verse 28 to 30. He says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foresaw, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And so we read this verse sometimes and, and we misquote it often. And we say to people, everything all works out for good. It's not quite what it says. All things work together for good to those who are called according to God's purpose. See, in Jesus, we have a different calling. We have a better calling in life. We're not just called to the medical field. We're not just called to be a nurse. We get to be called to use what it means to be a nurse. To touch people's lives and to build relationships and to create connections that touch people's lives in a significantly different way than just helping them to get healthy. We have this opportunity to touch people's lives in a significant way that, yes, might help them temporarily to get healthy, but ultimately get to touch people's lives so that they get to be connected to Jesus and so that they then get to experience what it means to have a much deeper, much fuller, and much more fulfilling purpose in life than just living the mundane existence that our world offers. We get to offer something different, and we get to live something different. Why? Because we're called according to the promise and called according to the purpose of God. And the promise is that, listen, I have a purpose for you. And you might look at things and you might say, what is going on? God, this is frustrating. God, this is irritating. I don't understand how how all of this works. I love the fact that you talked about the fact you're sitting under your car, working on your car. And there are times when all of us has that stuff happen. And we wonder, God, what are you doing and why does this happen? Until someone stops by to help us and you realize this is why God allowed the distributor to not work. Because he has dropped me at this point, at this point in time, 
to have a conversation with this person who needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And I wouldn't have had that conversation if the distributor was working fine. And all of a sudden, we start to see that all things are working together for good. Because God is doing stuff in us and through us. And we ask God sometimes, I've asked God this at different times. We, we, we had this conversation Connor and I had this conversation. You ever have, have the conversation, God, why do you sometimes just make it so hard? Have you ever asked, asked that conversation? God, why does it seem to be so difficult and so challenging at different times? And yet what is God doing? God is doing stuff in us and through us through that whole process. And God is bringing us into relationship with people. God is building things into our lives. He's doing this because he's working the ultimate outcome. So that which we are hoping to achieve and that which we are hoping to gain is going on. And God is working that in our lives, accomplishing his purpose. Drop down to verse 37. Now, he says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things great, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is what? That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to give us hope for a very different life, for something that's radically more fulfilling than anything our world can offer us. When I look at Christmas and I think of what takes place in Christmas, I see the promise of hope for a radically different life. And sometimes that life doesn't all change on the exterior, but man does it change on the interior. Because the attitudes, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the sense of purpose being accomplished the, the, the sense that I'm not living futile, in, a, in a futile, meaningless way, but I actually get to live with significance and meaning that's eternal and it lasts. It doesn't, doesn't wane sometime after I'm gone, but it continues for eternity. Amazing. Another verse that stands out, and we have it there, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. Now, I often, to you guys, quote Second Timothy, or Second Corinthians 5.21 and talk about that as being one of my favorite verses. But if I were to pick another set of verses that are really super huge and that I really, really resonate with, it would be these verses. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, what, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens in Christ. See, it's through Jesus that all of the blessings of God flow. Jesus is the pathway. Jesus is the path through through which all of the blessings of God come. They don't come through another pathway. They don't come through another direction. Jesus said, I'm the way to the Father. I'm the w- no man comes to the Father except by me. And Jesus is the pathway through which all of the blessings of God flow. It says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavens through Jesus. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy, blameless, and loved before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. Again, that's coming through Jesus. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious great, that he has lavished. I love the words he uses here. That he has lavished on us in the beloved one, i.e. through Jesus. So he's blessed us in the heavenly realms through every spiritual blessing, and he's lavishing this on us through Jesus. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. And now keep on listening. He made known to us the mystery of of his will. We get to know and understand the will of God. We get to start to know and understand the agenda of God and how we then start to fit in that agenda as we live our lives. We get to start to live out that which is eternal instead of living out that which is temporary. According to his good pleasure 
and he purposed in Christ. Again, it comes through Jesus, and his purpose was to have all of this stuff come to us through the reality and the presence and the work of Jesus Christ. See, when we look at all this stuff, we say, how is, where do we find hope at Christmas? Man, we find hope because Jesus has come and because God has blessed us like crazy through Jesus. Jesus is the pathway. Jesus is the channel through which all of this blessing has come. When we think of Christmas morning, we think about some of those presents under the tree. And then you start to think about the richest households in the world and the presents that might be underneath the whatever tree they have that they, where they, when they give gifts. And you start to recognize and you start to understand, golly gee, these guys have nothing like what God has given us through Jesus. God has given us stuff that doesn't even compare. It makes the, 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 the gifts that the richest people in the world give to those people they love, it makes it look like they have just given them sticks and berries. Because it's like nothing compared to the amazingness of what God has done. They've gone to the Goodwill store, they've bought all the secondhand stuff, and they've wrapped it up like it's brand spanking new, and it's worthless. It's old, other people's junk. But God has given us amazing stuff through Jesus. So he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. What's God doing? He's bringing it all together and he's brought it all together in Jesus. In him we've also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with his purpose of his will so that we who are already who have had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Have you thought about this? We get to praise God now and we get to praise God for eternity and we were shaped and made and designed to bring glory to God. That's part of how we were designed. And our world has totally lost it. See, when you look at this list right here, this, this top list, you don't see on that list glorifying God. You don't see it there. Because it's all geared towards self. It's all geared to themselves. Because they've decided to replace God, to remove God. But we now have the privilege to start to glorify and honor God and that's something we're going to get the privilege to do for eternity and we're going to love it because it's exactly what we were made to do. Let me find my spot again. I'm getting lost here. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the past possession to the praise of his glory. We're looking forward to that. Now, Matt took off for a second, but he's looking forward to getting that 20. Just as we're looking forward to what we're going to find in eternity. Because God gives us a different purpose. Now, let's look at Matthew. And I love what's taking place in Matthew. This is when Jesus begins to call his disciples. We see a couple guys getting called here. Beginning of verse 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then you see what's going on before. John the Baptist has been arrested, incarcerated, and that sparks really significantly the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Because John the Baptist was the herald. He was the one saying the promised one has come. He was the one preparing the way for Jesus. And now as, as he's being arrested, as he's starting to be removed from the picture, Jesus steps into that vacuum and Jesus starts his ministry and starts preaching and declaring, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come. 
It says, And as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Or as the King James said, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus said, guys, I have something different for you if you guys want to do it. Guys, you can live the rest of your life fishing for fish, if you want to do that. But if you'd like to do something different, and you want to do something that's eternal, why don't you come with me? You'll still be fishermen, but you're no longer fishing for fish. You're fishing for people, for the glory of God. Why don't you come with me? And they did. And then I love this next one, Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. Let me jump down there. This is the call of Matthew. And I love... Not so much the call of Matthew, but that which follows. And we, we just get it. We see what's going on. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, he then went home with Matthew and they apparently had dinner and that kind of stuff. And it says, and when he was reclining at the table in the house, and the assumption here, the inclination is it's Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with people who don't know God and who don't walk with God and who don't speak like us and talk like us and act like us? How come you hang out with people who don't come to synagogue? Why are you hanging out with people who don't go to church? Why are you hanging out with people who don't talk the way they should talk? Why are you doing that, Jesus? And as they're saying this to Jesus, the point is, this is terrible. This is wrong. This is horrible. You call yourself a rabbi, and instead of hanging out and doing rabbi kind of things that we've defined are appropriate and proper rabbi things, you're hanging out and you're talking to the people and you're spending time with people that none of us should be spending any time with. Why are you doing that? That's horrible. Now when he heard this, he said it, he said, Is it not those who are well? It is not I have to read this correctly, otherwise it won't be right. It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus was modeling exactly what he had said to Matthew and Andrew, what he said exactly to James and John. I'm going to help you guys to fish for people, people who are far from me, who need me, who, want to live in, who need to live in relationship with me. So I'm going to have you come, and I'm going to model for you what it means to reach and to love people who are far from God. And here's what's crazy. This works for every single one of us. Every single one of us. See, wherever God has planted us, that's where we have an opportunity to love people who are far from God. When I went and got some training as a coach, I sat in a room with people who were nothing like me. I was swimming in a part of the world, the ocean of life, where people who are Christians didn't normally swim. And as I was in that part of the ocean, I recognized something really important. It's really important for me to swim here. And it's really important for me to continue to swim here. Because all these people that I'm swimming around, all these people that I'm interacting with, 
they don't know a whole lot about what it means to walk with and know Jesus. And they need someone to show them. They need someone who will model and represent what it means to walk with Jesus in this world in a meaningful and significant way. And we do this wherever God has placed us. Because you're not the only nurse that's here. Others of us that have been nurses. We get to do that in the hospitals. We get to do that in, in, in the township offices. We get to do this in the various businesses, construction sites, various homes. We get to do this in offices, in various places where God places us. We get the opportunity to start to be salt and light and to start to reflect the character and the glory of God wherever God has placed us. And we get to represent to the people that we have a relationship with and we connect with on a daily basis what it means to know Jesus. We get to live for something that's way more significant than just fixing someone's plumbing or fixing someone's electric or getting someone's car going on the road or helping someone to get out of the ER or even just get out of the doctor's office and get home for the week. We get to help people to start to recognize what it means to have an encounter with the eternal loving God who loves them and wants a relationship with them that's not just for the here and now, but it's also eternal. We get to have that opportunity and that's what we find in Jesus, a life and a purpose that flows from the presence of Jesus and that should motivate us and energize us for eternity. One more set of verses. First Timothy. Verses 8 to 12. Paul's talking about this and he's talking from his perspective as one who's lived, who's being persecuted, who's in prison. And this is what he says. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And grace. You catch that part again? We, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. We get to live for a different, much more significant, much more meaningful purpose in life than what the world wants to offer us and what this list down here from Galatians, the first list, gives us. A much more significant and much more valuable purpose. which was given to us in Christ Jesus. It comes to us through Jesus before time began. This is how he made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. And that is why I suffered these things, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. He's talking about hope there. I'm not ashamed to stand and be counted for Jesus because Jesus has given me a different purpose in life. Jesus has given me a different direction in life and I'm going to use the life that I have been given. I'm going to use the things that I am doing as an opportunity to leverage for the opportunity to help people to hear and understand what it means to know and walk with Jesus. And I'm not ashamed of them. I'm not embarrassed by that. I live that boldly. I step out in that. And that's what I'm going to do until God takes me home. And I love this last little bit. And I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. I know I'm getting my 20. Right? I know those things that have he's told me he's given me. Those things that I am hoping for. Those things I'm anticipating getting ultimately. I am persuaded that that which I am looking toward, that which I am looking forward to for eternity, I am convinced it's going to come. 
It's going to be provided. It's not going to disappear. God is going to provide for me. Now, again, I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know where you are in your journey. But I would encourage you on a couple different levels. One, to trust Jesus with all of your heart. Jesus understands you and God made us and Jesus is the pathway through which forgiveness comes and Jesus is the pathway through which God works out all of these amazing things that he wants to lavish on our lives. It comes to us through Jesus. So I would encourage you to hold on to and embrace Jesus. If you want to talk to someone about that today, feel free to talk to me. I'll be in the back. You can talk to the Van Wards. They'll be glad to talk to you about that. We would love to have that conversation with you if you have not yet come to that point where you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But here's the next thing I would encourage you to think about. How are you living today and are you grabbing a hold of that purpose to which Jesus has called us to live? And are you recognizing that as a follower of Jesus, you have been given the opportunity and you have been given the privilege to help transform people's transform people's lives with the message of Jesus. You have been given the opportunity to help people to experience what it means to no longer be stuck in the futile journey of life that they are living in. And believe me, there's a lot of people around us who are recognizing and seeing that this life is really futile. That's part of why many people deal with depression today because they understand the pointlessness of life. They recognize it doesn't matter what they're going to do. They're going to close their eyes and they're going to die and everything they've worked for, everything they've striven for, it's all going to disappear. It's gone. Our world is thoroughly understanding progressively more and more and more the futileness of life because it only satisfies for a season. And after that initial season of excitement starts to wane, they recognize and they start to say, is this all there is? Is this all that's offered? There's nothing else? There's not a second act or third act. There's not a final part to the show. There's, this is all that is being offered? And it really leaves people empty. And you have an opportunity to help connect people to the reality that there is actually something so much more that our world never wants to talk about. But it's Jesus. And he connects us to hope. He connects us to purpose. He connects us to significance. And he connects us to that which is eternal. That which never gets lost. That never disappears. But that lasts forever. We have the opportunity to help to connect people to that. And I would encourage you to ask yourself, how am I doing in that? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I have chosen not to be bashful. And I'm not sorry I'm in these chains because I have been telling people about Jesus. In fact, I would do it again. Paul was chasing that which he could never lose. And he was storing treasure and glory that was never going to disappear. I want to encourage you to do the same. To live your life according to the hope that Jesus gives us. If you want to talk to me more about that, again, I would encourage you to take advantage of that communication card. Jot that down and say, Andrew, I'd love to have a conversation with you more this week about what it means to live according to the hope that Jesus gives us to live for that purpose and that hope of eternity and helping people experience it. Say that somehow. And we'll, we'll follow up with you this week and we'll have a conversation. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, as we prepare to wrap up and as we prepare to close, Father, I would just ask that you would be at work in us, that you would be at work through us. Father, I just thank you so very much for the amazing richness of what you have lavished on us in Jesus. Father, 
It's just amazing. And I say thank you so very much for Jesus and all that we have in him. Amen. The uh, team of elders asked me to appear before you very briefly this morning to give you a quick update on financial state of the congregation. In summary, we are a little bit behind in terms of our giving, our income from church giving. When we looked at the reports through the end of November, that would be the first five months of a 12-month cycle, we're at about 80% of expectation. So we're down by about 20%. I'm not asked, I'm not giving you this information to cause panic, nor am I asking anyone to feel guilty. You are stakeholders in the congregation, so I'm here to inform you. What you can do with this information is two things, one or both of two things. First, please pray. Pray that the Lord will continue to be faithful in giving us the money we need to do the things we believe we've been called to do as a church. And second, if you are or have been considering year-end giving, Please continue to pray in that direction, and if you feel so le- so led, then frankly, yes, we can use the money. Uh, a, we'll have a more detailed sh- talk about church finances at our semi-annual business meeting, which is five or six weeks out. So at that time, I'll be giving you an additional report, and I can answer whatever questions you have. But that is all I had for you this morning. Thank you.